0: Nothing is more central to the Christian life than prayer. Thomas Chalmers, a famous Scottish preacher, said this, prayer does not enable us to do a greater work for God. Prayer is a greater work for God. And therefore, unsurprisingly, prayer is the hardest activity in the whole of our Christian lives. It's the area where we feel the greatest weakness. It's the area where we feel the greatest spiritual attack. Indeed, the Christian's prayer life becomes the barometer of their spiritual vitality. There was a little saying that I typed up and printed out and had on my study wall. I had to take it down because... Its challenge to me at times was too great, but it was Robert Murray McShane, someone who was born and educated here before going to Dundee, said this, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing else. Let me give you that again. What a man is on his knees before God, what a woman is on her knees before God, that he is that she is and nothing else. Leonard Ravenhill, a great writer on revival, said this, no man, no woman is greater than their prayer life. No man is greater than his prayer life. Little wonder, therefore, that Paul issues this command to the believers in Colossae that we briefly looked at last week when he said, and it's in the imperative, it's in the command. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. And this is such an essential command that we must make sure that we both understand it and obey it. For this word, this word devote, in the Greek it's the word "proskaterio," is used three ways in the New Testament so that we can get something of its force and understand what it means when Paul says, devote yourselves. You see, it carries with it the meaning of being absolutely focused upon a particular task. For example, in Romans 13 verse 6, Paul writes, this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing, give their full time to governing. And it's that expression, full time, that in the Greek is that word proskaterio, devote. So we need to be focused on the task. If we're trying to understand what Paul means when he says we should be devoted to prayer, it means we need to be focused on the task. So let me ask you, what is it that you give constant thought or attention to? It might be a particular task, maybe something that you're focused on solving or serving. It it might be your job. You're constantly thinking about what you have to do and how you could improve it. It might be that you're a homemaker. You see, you love to make sure that where you live is comfortable and attractive and, and clean, and your family, if you have one, are blessed by you. And Paul says we need to pay the same sort of attention to our prayer life. We need to be focused on the task. That's the word he is using. Or secondly, the word is used in connection with relationships. Acts chapter 8, verse 13 says this, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he, now this is where we get this word proskiterio, this word devotion, and he followed Philip everywhere. He followed Philip everywhere. That's partly what it means to be devoted in the way that the Bible is using the word. So therefore, as we think about prayer and being devoted to prayer, we need to be committed to the relationship. Maybe you've started going out with someone and all you can think of is is them. You, you, You gaze at their picture. You talk endlessly on the phone. You daydream constantly about being with them. And maybe, maybe, this has even continued into your marriage. And you're committed to the personal well-being of your partner. You live to please them. You'd gladly give your life for them. Well, if that's your experience, and let's say it's certainly not the present experience of everyone here, then you have some insight into what your prayer life should be. We need to be committed, devoted to the relationship. Or the third way that this word is used suggests a sort of concentrated time commitment. It's there in Ephesians 6, verse 18, where Paul writes, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and here comes the word, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Always keep on, Proscotario. devote yourselves. So as we're trying to understand what it means to devote ourselves to prayer, we, we notice this word also means we need to be sacrificial with our time. Maybe the thing that occupies your thought and attention above all else is a particular hobby. You just love to spend all your time doing that particular activity see, duties at work and in the home can be a real distraction, even some relationships. They have to take a second place to your all-consuming hobby. Maybe it's the computer you spend hours surfing the net or playing the latest game on whatever is the latest Xbox, PlayStation, you name it. Maybe it's DIY jobs. You just love fiddling, and unless you have a paintbrush and a screwdriver in hand, you're not happy. Maybe you're into building gadgets or models or train sets or the like. Maybe you love baking or interior design or card making, and I'm not giving any gender ascription to any of these tasks. Maybe you love playing sport. Maybe you're a film buff or a music aficionado, or you're a fully certified square-eyed couch potato who just loves to watch all the films going. Well, you see, now we're getting closer to understanding what Paul was telling the Colossian Christians and what God is telling us. We should have a devotion to prayer that is greater than our devotion to that special task or that special person. Or that special hobby. It should be a devotion that has so captured our mind and hearts and wills that we commit ourselves to it gladly and without reservation. Now, you might think, Andy, sorry, that, that's just impossible. That can't be done. That's too high a bar. Well, it was possible for the early church. That same word, devote or proskaterio in the Greek, is used to describe how they prayed. For example, Acts chapter 1 verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. And, and that's that word. That's devote. the word devote, proskaterio, It's there. They are doing it. Or Acts 2 verse 42. They devoted themselves. There it is. To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They did it. Acts 6, 3-4, here are the apostles, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention, that's the word, devotion, proskaterio. we will turn our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. They did it. So the pressing question that we must face is this, how can we develop such a devotion in prayer? You know, it's all well and good, here's the guy, he's up front preaching and he says, this is what you should do, this is what you should be like, but all it does, it can just fill you with a sense of hopelessness and guilt. I, you know, Andy, sorry, I just, I just can't do that. Well, look, what's the answer? Where should we look? Well, what I want to do this morning is suggest that true prayer is something that involves every aspect of our personalities, mind, heart. And will. And it's only as each of these is properly engaged that we can be devoted in prayer. My first point is this, true prayer involves the mind. True prayer involves the mind. You see there should firstly be desperation, seeing things as they really are. And by this I mean that we need to recognize our terrible need. You see, this was something in the Colossian church they didn't quite grasp. Some of them there thought that through their religious schemes, whether it's mystical or legal, they thought, yeah, 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 we're highly qualified, we're, we're greatly blessed, where Paul tells them that actually you're in great need. Let me ask you, when was the last time you got down to some really intense and committed prayer? Well, I'll tell you when it was. It was when you were in trouble. Perhaps you were facing illness or worrying news. Maybe a family member was sick or a serious situation was looming. And at such times, do you remember, you prayed with amazing earnestness. Now, why did you do that? It was because you realized that this was a situation that only God could deal with. It was beyond your control. So, you turn to God in passionate prayer. Now, let me ask you another question. Why are you not devoted to prayer right now? Well, it's because you don't see the need. There's no pressing problem. There's no situation that you can't handle. There's nothing keeping you awake at night. Everything is nicely under control. So can you see why I believe that the first step to devoted prayer is when we've grasped with our minds the immensity of the real problems that face us? See, our greatest need in a series on prayer is not to have a series of tips and guidelines on how to pray, you know, get prayer mates and put the alarm on at such and such a time. Look, however useful these tips may be, but our greatest need is to have our eyes opened to things as they really are. And what are these problems? It's this. There are members of our families who are going to hell. There are members of our families who are being crippled by Satan and are being robbed of the full life and joy that there is in Jesus. The problem is we're hardly touching the community that we serve. The problem is that we're seeing so few lives transformed by God's grace. Doesn't it disturb you that we are not seeing more conversions than we are? The problem is that sin is freezing our desire after holiness... The problem is that men and women in this world do not acknowledge Christ as Lord and give him the glory. The problem is that the world has so infected the church that its trivialities predominate. That pride and jealousy roam unchecked and that our obedience and worship is so half-hearted. My friends, is that not serious? enough for you? Is that not enough to turn you to devoted prayer? Is that not enough to make you desperate as you see and realize how things really are? But as well as desperation from within the Christian mind should spring up a delight, seeing Jesus for all he is. By this I mean we should not only recognize the terrible need that we face, but we should also recognize the wonderful provision that there is in the power and the love and the sufficiency of the Savior that we come before. Let me just read some verses from Colossians as we're sort of basing this on the situation of the church at Colossae there where these various heresies were coming in. Uh, Paul was, was wanting to say to these people who are coming in with these heresies, saying, you need more, it's Jesus plus, it's Jesus plus, Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that. And Paul says, when you have Christ, you have everything. And so he writes them in Colossians 1, verses 16 to 20. He says, For by him, that is Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all, all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And I believe the reason so many, that so many of us lead impoverished prayer lives is that we have failed to realize how ready, how eager, how... Able our God is to hear and answer our prayers. We think He's distant, or else that He's uninterested, or else that He's angry. Whereas the wonderful truth is that God's love for His children is so strong and deep and true that let me tell you this not even eternity itself will exhaust an examination of his, its riches. You know, believers here, you're going to go to heaven, you're going to be with Jesus, and it is going to take all eternity. For you to understand the riches, the fullness of everything that there is in him. Picture with me a child who has a distended stomach. The clear sign of chronic malnutrition. And imagine that you work for an international relief agency and you're speaking to that child. You tell the child before you that it needs Food that it's unwell, that its life is in danger. But the child doesn't believe you. It's known nothing else. It thinks that this is how life is. And then you tell the child that in the tent behind you there are sacks upon sacks of food. Tons of provisions which have been flown in from other countries. And that if it's willing it can have all the food it needs to get better and fit and healthy. But once more, the child cannot believe you. It cannot imagine such amounts or such free generosity. And so it turns away, turns away from you and walks on and goes on its way. My friends, can you sense your feeling of despair? My friend, we are that child when it comes to prayer. Weak and sickly in spiritual things, but sensing no no need, no lack. Unbelieving when it comes to the promises of God's word concerning his overflowing, super abundant grace that we have in Jesus. So ready to turn away and settle for the meager scraps that we can scratch up from the ground by our own efforts. True Prayer involves desperation, and it involves delight. Can I just say this? Let me just say this. What I'm saying as we look at the whole subject of prayer is really for the believers here. It's for you who are Christians. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, can I just say your greatest need is these two things as well. It is desperation and it is delight. It is desperation that you see things as as they really are. If you are here and you are not a Christian... I just wonder, well, I know you haven't seen yourself in the eyes of the God who made you. You don't see how lost you are. You don't see the weight of his justice and holiness, and indeed, as the Bible tells us, his wrath upon your sin. You are lost. You are hellbound. That's the reality. You may say, but Andy, I've got a great job. I'm doing fine. Yeah, you may have for these 70 years... So I would still argue you are shorn of life to the full. And what you need to do is see your standing, your condition before a holy God. This is how you really are. But I want you to see at the same time the delight, the wonder, the joy that there is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we sing his praises here. Because he is the one who came and gave himself for sinners, who, who took upon himself what we deserve. So that we could be set free, so that we could be adopted into God's family, so that we could know new life, a new start, a new beginning, so that we could know purpose and joy and confidence. If you're here and you are not trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I plead with you, open your eyes. Open your eyes to how you are and open your eyes to who he is. True prayer involves the mind. Secondly, true prayer involves the heart. You see, when we've realized our desperate need, when we've grasped the amazing and gracious provision that there is in Jesus, then such an understanding will impact our hearts. And by our hearts, I'm talking about our personalities, about the CPU of our, uh, our, our lives. It will affect the way that we feel. You see, it should move my heart to devotion. Honoring the relationship with Jesus. You see, prayer is not a mechanical duty that can be carried out in some robotic fashion. It's something that flows out from the loving relationship that Jesus has brought us into, it's something from the heart. See, those Jewish legalists in Colossae would have emphasized the need to pray three times a day because that's what all good Jews did and that's what you should do. Whereas when Paul is writing to them, he stresses that the natural overflow in a relationship can't be limited to set peace events. He writes this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. He says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And the more you're in love with Jesus Christ, the more you'll want to be in his presence, naturally speaking to him and listening to him. And that devotion, could I say, will also flow over into the way that you live. Paul wrote to the Colossians there in chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. He said, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have, may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, because this is the way that it works in Relationships. You love to live in a way which pleases people who are important to you. Why do you wash and put on various cosmetics and dress in particular ways? Well, for those in a relationship, the overriding reason is that you want to please your partner. Your devotion for them is displayed in the way that you live. And do you see this is the same with our relationship to Christ? Prayer and holy living go hand in hand. 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, Paul writes to Timothy, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. And and the emphasis there isn't on the lifting up. The emphasis there is on holy. I want you to lift up holy hands. Or Psalm 66, verses 18 to 19, If I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. So devotion will be seen in a lifelong pattern of grateful prayer and holy living. But then from the heart comes dependence. Dependence listening to the work of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm trying to get at here is that a heart relationship with God involves the work of the Holy Spirit. Prayer can't be reduced to lists and liturgies, however helpful they may be. There's something more going on here. Prayer is interpersonal, so therefore prayer is going to be varied. Have a look at what Paul told the Ephesians. We read it earlier, Ephesians 6, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And what does Paul mean when he says, with this in mind, be alert? What does he mean, with this? what is in mind? Well, it's pray in the Spirit, as he said earlier in verse 18. And what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, he's told us in verse 17. The word, sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Look, I want to suggest two very important applications to alert praying. Number one, be alert to the immediate promptings of God the Holy Spirit. You see, God isn't silent, nor is he taking a rest. He's actively working throughout his creation every moment of every day. And by his Holy Spirit who indwells every believer, he'll prompt us to pray for particular people or particular situations at particular times. Indeed, the history of the Christian church is littered with accounts of how people have been moved to pray for situations... Only later to discover that at that very moment their prayer was being answered in a remarkable way thousands of miles away. Therefore, to be watchful means we must be sensitive to what God is prompting us to pray for. Do you do that? When you come in prayer, are you saying, Lord, guide me here, show me. But secondly, we must be alert to what God is saying through his living word. See, God's word is not only full of truth, it is truth, but that truth is living because it is authored by the eternal God. And therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that God actively, actively communicates to us through that word. That means that when we come to prayer, having read the Bible, there will be something fresh, there will be something relevant To prompt us in our praying. Look, I really can't understand those who say that they get bored praying the same old thing. Or that they don't know what to pray. If the reading of scripture precedes our praying, there will always be something new that will fill our hearts and minds and help shape our prayers. For me, one of the most formative quotes I have ever come across was from George Muller. Now, Kath and I, we lived in Bristol for about 30 years. George Muller was a big deal in Bristol, and in fact, he should be a big deal anywhere because of his faith and because of his prayers. And George Muller said this. It's a long quote, but bear with me. He said, The difference between my former practice and my present one is this. Formerly, when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible and generally spent all my time till breakfast in prayer. But what was the result? I often spent a quarter of an hour, half an hour, even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived any comfort, encouragement, or humbling of soul, and often after having suffered much from wandering of mind, to which many of us go, yeah. He wrote, I scarcely ever suffer now in this way, for my heart, being nourished by the truth, being brought into experimental fellowship with God, I speak to my father and to my friend, vile though I am and unworthy of it, about the things he has brought before me in his precious word. Since God has taught me this point, it is as plain to me as anything that the first thing the child of God has to do, morning by morning, is to obtain food for his inner man now what is this food for the inner man not prayer but the word of god and here again not the simple reading of the word of god so that it only passes through our minds just as water runs through a pipe but considering what we read pondering over it and applying it to our Brothers and sisters, you want to pray? You're serious about prayer? You're devoted to prayer? Do you know what you're going to do? It's going to start with reading God's word. What is God saying to you in that conversation? And as you look at the word of God, and as you think about the word of God, it's going to be prompting and provoking you. Thirdly, finally, true prayer involves the will. True prayer involves the will. You see, if there's been desperation and delight in the realm of the mind and it leads to devotion and dependence in the realm of the heart, this in turn should lead to determination in the realm of the will. And so I've called this determination, planning to establish new patterns. And by determination, I mean that commitment to put into practice what you know and feel is right. Prayer doesn't just happen. It requires a steely determination to battle through all the distractions and yawns and satanic attacks so that you can spend time with the Lord. Now, last week I I emphasized that the best illustration of prayer is that of a relationship. You know, we gladly talk to our loved one in a variety of natural ways. That's a good picture of prayer. But the married among us, Know that loving relationships have to be worked on. They have to be cultivated. We have to be intentional to plan in date nights and time together. It doesn't just happen. And marriages can struggle when we get lazy. And in the same way that loving relationship with the Lord needs deliberate determined intentional thought and commitment it 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 won't just grow without thought and action it will wither without attention So are you going to devote yourselves to prayer it's all well and good to feel emotionally moved on a Sunday morning the question is are you going to do something about it tomorrow are you determined Have you planned how you'll overcome all the obstacles that will face you? Will you make the necessary alterations to your sleeping patterns? Determination, planning to establish new patterns. My last D, demonstration, acting to carry out new plans. Quite simply, it means you will do it. You will pray. You will begin the battle. You will start to understand what it means to be devoted in prayer. And next week, we're going to look at a final aspect of of prayer, how we need to keep on praying. So before we sing, let me pray. Father God, we do want to be those who pray. We want to be those who have that intimate loving relationship with you but Father there are so many things that get in the way of this and uh, Father each one of us here especially me we have to confess that it's the hardest thing we do and there are so many distractions and so many things that get in the way so many times we let you down Father please would, would you please enable us to see things as they really are please could we get serious about this world in which we live. Thank you for all the good things you've given and lavished upon us, but Father, help us to see our own hearts and the hearts of others and the brokenness and fallenness of this world. And please help us to see the wonder of what Jesus has done for us so that we may delight in him and live for him and speak for him. For his glory we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish our time by singing together, Yet Not I. Please stand.